Let's have another big round of applause for our band, the Cargo Shorts Crew. Let's hear for them. Thank you guys, and thank you all for being here today, worshiping online with us. Uh, we are in part three of a super fun, uplifting, encouraging season series about the end of the world. Aren't we excited about that? Yay. Woo! Really? Yes, this series is called The End is Nearer, and that's all we know about the end. That's one thing we can say for sure about the end, I should put it that way, is that the end is closer today than it was yesterday. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. And so we're doing this series, and what we realized in part one of this series is that the end of something is not necessarily a bad thing. If what follows is something better than what was, right? Isn't that true? We all know that. And if we believe what the Bible says, and I do, and we as a church, we do, we believe that after the end of this world will come a better world, a perfect world, where Jesus will come and will rule over us and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more COVID, no more of that stuff, right? No more government restrictions, none of it, all right? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So that's what's waiting for us. That's what's next. Last week in the series, we looked at some of the patterns and parallels that we've seen, um, some stories that just keep repeating time and time again. And one of the stories that we've seen repeating time and time again since, since ancient times is the story of the rebellion of the wicked. How all throughout human history, groups of people and individuals come together and said, we reject God's way, we think we can rule over ourselves, and the story always ends the same way. The people realize, whoa, we can't rule over ourselves. We can't disobey God. It's not going to work out. We can't push back against God. God's one of those, you can't beat God, so you might as well join him. That might be weird to say about God, but it's just a fact. And over time, so many people have experienced that. And when they attempt to rebel against God, you cannot defeat God. And when we get to the end times and when we read the book of Revelation, we realize that we finally see the end of this story, this story of the rebellion of the wicked. It finally resolves. We finally see an ending to that when Christ comes as our one and only king to rule over us. And so now we move on to part three of the series, which we are calling Second Chances, and we are big believers in the fact that God, our God, the God that we worship, the God that we love, the God that we serve, is a God of second chances. He's the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. And the Bible, both Old Testament and New, tells us the story of how many times God extends the opportunity for for forgiveness to people who have rebelled against him. That's something that's so central to the character of God, the heart of God, and who he is. He keeps extending opportunities for people to repent and relent and be redeemed and be restored. That's, that's our God. I need to start out today by uh, addressing something that's, that's awfully heavy, but um, it's important to, to vocalize. Um, one of the causes <clears throat> that is near and dear to the heart of our church is the cause of overdose awareness. Um, if you've been with us for uh, some time now, you know that about us as a church. Um, here we are living in this season with, with so much attention being given to, to COVID-19 and political unrest that um, maybe we've lost sight about this other issue that's going on. And we believe that as a church, it is our responsibility to bring awareness to this issue and help people understand that drug use and drug abuse can and has led to deaths. So we need people to understand that and embrace that reality. And uh, over the years, um, there have been occasions where people have, have wanted to meet with me and they, they share the fact that they're struggling, they have substance abuse issues. And, and when people come to me with those issues, I'm very quick to refer them to professional help. 
um, someone who really knows what they're doing and can offer them rehab solutions. Uh, but also over the years, I've met with family members, with parents specifically, who are struggling with a, with a son or a daughter who is either an adult or a teenager, and they have this substance abuse problem. And that is such a heartbreaking situation to, to walk through with, with parents. I mean, it's tough for all loved ones. Um, it is a uniquely difficult experience to love an addict. And I'm sad to say that so many people in this room know that firsthand. You know how tough it is to love an addict, someone who keeps going back. And I believe that for parents, it's especially difficult because parents, what do we parents want to do? We want to help our kids. We want to support our kids. And so for those parents of addicts, it's that, it's that very difficult balance between wanting to support, wanting to help, but not wanting to inadvertently enable a destructive behavior. So it's very, very difficult to watch and to be a part of that journey as parents go through that struggle, watching a loved one, watching a son or a daughter struggle with addiction. And parents, we want to give our kids second chances, don't we? And third chances, right? You guys know that out there, kids, teenagers, students, do you know that? Your parents want what's best for you and they believe in you, right? That's our job as parents. We are champions for our kids. It doesn't matter how old they are, when they're wee little ones or when they're full-on adults. We are champions for our children because we believe that they are capable of great things and we believe that they can overcome their circumstances and we believe in them and that's our job and we should. It's so difficult for those parents, those parents of addicts, to keep loving, keep believing, to love somebody, my goodness gracious, to love someone is to put yourself in such a vulnerable position. To love and to hope, you're such a vulnerable, and that parental love, it's so vulnerable because you want what's best and you're hoping for what's best, believing in what's best, and leaving yourself open to being hurt time and time again. I've heard Pastor Tim Keller, he's a pastor and an author, I've heard him speak about sin as addiction. He makes the comparison between sin and addiction. Those sins, those behaviors that we keep returning to that are destructive, that are unwise, that are foolish, that lead to damaging relationships, to damaging ourselves. We keep returning to these practices. And he compares that to addiction. It's like we keep going back to these things that destroy us. And what we know from Scripture is that God has set Himself as our Heavenly Father. That's the relationship that God desires to have with us. He wants to be our Heavenly Father, and all who accept Him, He receives as His children. So this might be strange to say, but I believe that God, the Almighty God who's capable of everything and anything, has put Himself in a vulnerable position, loving us as that perfect parent, that perfect father. And He watches as we stumble and as we rebel and as we reject. He watches hoping that we will come to our senses and that we will return to Him time and time again. He keeps offering us these opportunities to repent, to receive forgiveness, and to be restored in our relationship with Him. That beautiful love relationship with God. What do we see in the Old Testament? The Old Testament is primarily a story of this relationship that exists between God and one nation, the people of Israel. <clears throat> and God has loved them as a perfect father. He's loved them in this wonderful way. And He's freed them from slavery. And He has proven, listen, He's proven Himself to the Israelites time and time again that He is their God and He can be trusted. And He's made them a promise, a conditional promise that if you obey Me, I will bless you. And what do they do? They obey for a season. 
And then they disobey. And they disobey. And they suffer the consequences of their disobedience. And guess what happens when they suffer the consequences? They run back to God. And what does God say? I forgive. I restore. I redeem. And then they obey for a season before they begin to disobey and long for other gods and long for so-called easier approaches to life. They long for these things. They disobey. And then they suffer the consequences of their disobedience and they go running back to God. And what does God say? What does he say? Well, you know what? You know, you've, you've messed up too many times. That, no, no. He gives them an opportunity again to be forgiven and restored. Where there is genuine, listen to this, this is important, genuine repentance. Where there is genuine repentance, there can be forgiveness and restoration. That's our God. When there is genuine repentance, there can be forgiveness and restoration. In week one of the series, I made a little disclaimer that this series is not an exhaustive study of the book of Revelation. Uh, we would like to do that. In fact, we're planning to do that in, that, in the fall, not, to, not on a Sunday morning, but on an evening Bible study to go through that book and, and learn more about uh, what John, the Apostle John, reveals to us in that book. Uh, this is not that. But those of you who have read through this book, as difficult as it is, you realize that there are some very awful things that need to happen during that period of tribulation. Some very awful things that happen before Christ ends this old world and makes all things new. And so let's, let's just go there for a little while this morning. Let's take a look, okay? And I want to share with you, these are the things that happen. Now, we've talked about this before. we talked about the timeline. I believe, and many of us believe, that before that season of tribulation, before that seven-year period of tribulation, that there will be this rapture experience where the church will be removed from this earth, will be sealed away and protected from the tribulation that is to follow. And I believe that that event in and of itself, when that takes place, people will see that and be amazed by it. And so that happens and then this period of tribulation begins. Revelation. Let's look at some of the passages from Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. In chapter 6, John, again the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, he's there with Jesus and Jesus is revealing to him these things and some is very figurative and some is very literal. And so what John sees is there's a scroll and the only one worthy to open this scroll, to unseal the scroll, is Jesus Christ himself. And this scroll has multiple seals. There are seven seals. And so as these seals are broken, wrath is poured out on the earth. Destruction comes to the earth. Plagues come to the earth. And that first seal is broken. And John sees a, a white horse and a rider coming down to the earth. And he has a bow in his hand, but no arrows. And so we understand this as, as imagery of the Antichrist. He comes to conquer. That's what we're told. He comes to conquer in the name of peace a false peace. And so that's the first horse that we see. Maybe you've heard the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's kind of been twisted around a little bit. But we see this happening. And so there's this false peace that's really established by pointing aggression and frustration towards Christ and towards the believers. There's this season of false peace. And the next horse that comes along is the red horse. It's the horse of war. And so we see a, a period of false peace, of unstable peace, followed by a time of war. And there's a black horse, which signifies famine. There'll be great famine in the land and you can work a whole year, have a year's worth of wages and not be able to buy a day's worth of food. There's famine and of course what follows famine is the pale horse of death. That's what follows famine is death. So all these things are taking place. We move on. I want to get to the sixth seal. That's Revelation 6.12. 
This is John. He says, I watched as he, Jesus, opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. Okay? And so, so far, many of the things that have been experienced on the earth, maybe people have been able to justify say, well, this is just some bizarre but natural occurrence. Right? But this, this is not that. Revelation 6, 12, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars fell to the earth as figs drop from a tree when shaken by a strong wind. It's a very poetic and beautiful way to put something that's tragic and horrible. Stars fall. What's John seeing? Meteors falling to the earth, some kind of supernatural event. And the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So something is, is happening. Fundamental shifts are happening on this planet. And you think, well, that's really awful. This period of tribulation is terrible, but it gets worse. We move from these seven seals on the scroll to the seven trumpets. We read about those beginning chapter 8. So chapter 8, beginning with verse 6, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. How do you, how do you explain this away? It's just a natural event. People will try to. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that became bitter. You go to get something to drink to quench your thirst, and it's poison. You can't, you can't survive off this poison, toxic, bitter water. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. A third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. We move into chapter 9, and we see the fifth angel releasing these these supernatural type beings, these locusts that are huge and they arise like smoke and they're commanded to go and sting and torture people. What? And then we see another angel. The sixth angel comes and blows his trumpet and some kind of army is released on the earth. Is it a human army? Is it an angelic army? I'm not quite sure. We're not quite sure. But this army goes out and slaughters some of the people left on the planet. And it's disaster after disaster after hardship after hardship after plague after plague after plague. They don't call it the Great Tribulation for nothing, right? So I've got a question for all you Christians out there. Specifically, for you Christians that believe that the Bible is accurate, it is the authority, it is the revelation of truth and God's will and God's word, let me ask you Christians a question. What kind of God would allow all of these things to happen? Not just allow. Not just allow. What kind of God 
would cause all these disasters, one after the other, after the other, after the other, unrelenting plague after plague after plague. What kind of God would orchestrate this disaster, these disasters upon disasters? I don't see any hands raised. I'll tell you what kind of God. A God that has every, every right, every right to exercise judgment on humankind. You don't have to be comfortable with that. I don't have to be comfortable with that. But this God has absolutely every right and all authority, and He has the right to exercise His judgment on humankind. What kind of God would do this? A God of love. A God of love. Because here's what's happening. With every single one of these disasters, time after time after time, every single one of these plagues, every time a trumpet blows, every one of these plagues that lands on the earth, arrives on the earth, every single one of these is an opportunity for people to repent and see the awesome power of God and say, whoa, I was wrong to rebel. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe it starts with the rapture. When people say that, when they see this happen, that will be an experience. Some people will say, whoa, Jesus Christ really is Lord. And they will come to Jesus and they will repent and they will be saved. And when that, that first horse is released and here comes this Antichrist, when people see this happen, they're going to look at their Bible and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this what we read about in Scripture? And they will see this happening and they will repent. And they will be received by Jesus Christ. They will be saved. And when that next horse comes and when that next event happens and when there's war on the earth, people will say, look at this disaster we're living in. They will see the hand of God. They will repent and they will be saved. And so on and so on. And the earthquakes happen. And the stars fall out of the sky. And you better believe when that happens. People will be on their knees saying, we were wrong to rebel. All of these, all of these disasters, these plagues, present the earth dwellers, the human beings left on this planet, with opportunities to repent and be saved. That's our God. A loving God. Jesus on the earth, He told many stories, many parables, and it was really up to Him to communicate the reality of who God is. And one of the best parables, one of my favorite parables, I should say, is the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son. And in this parable, we see God as a father over two sons, a loving father, a kind father, a perfect father. The younger son wants to break that relationship, wants to rebel against the father, says, I just want your stuff, I want your blessing, then I'm going to go on my way and live my life, not under your roof, not under your rule. And so this son, he ends up in very dire circumstances. He goes through his own unique personal period of tribulation. And when he arrives at that spot, broke, homeless, hungry. When he arrives at that spot, he has two options. To shake his fist at the heavens and say, why me? Or to repent and go back to his father. And we're told in this parable that this young man, he comes to his senses and he repents. He returns back to his father and repents. And when he returns back to his father, when he returns back to God, he is forgiven and embraced and restored. Our God continually extends those second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And here's why. Let's take a look 
at the scripture passage that Pastor Sean read for us, 2 Peter chapter 3, two little verses, 8 and 9. And Peter is writing this letter to believers, and he is addressing some of the issues that they were struggling with, that they were working through. And so many believers in this early church, they were waiting for Jesus to return. They were expecting it. They were eager for it. They desired it. And that's great. That's appropriate. And they should. They should have felt that way. And so should we. In fact, a big point that I'm trying to make here throughout this series, one of my goals, in fact, the big goal, is to help us cultivate that longing for Christ's return. They had it. The group of Christians, the group of believers that Peter is writing to, they had that eager expectation. They were waiting for it. They were longing for it. And so Peter had to give them a little perspective. And he says to them, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And we know that Jesus has told, he's told his believers that he's coming back soon. The question is, how soon is soon? Say, so listen, just, just hang on a second. Remember that for God, time is, is different than how we measure time. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, the promise of his return. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your patience with us. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting for any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the chief desire of our God, for all to come to repentance, which is why he keeps giving us us flawed human beings, us rebellious human beings, keeps giving us opportunities to repent and return to Him. And so Peter had to course correct this group of early Christians. says, yes, okay, hold on to that eagerness, but, but you can't just sit around waiting for it to happen. <laughs> There's work that needs to be done in the here and in the now. And here's what I want to say to all of you. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your hearts, each and every one of you that's watching or listening or participating. I, I don't know what's going on. If you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, here's what I want to let you know. You don't have to wait for the tribulation to accept Him as Savior. You don't have to wait for the next disaster before you fall on your knees and repent of your pride and accept Christ as Savior. He is ready to receive you right now. To go before Him. To go before Jesus. And acknowledge the reality that you cannot save yourself, that I cannot save myself. And to accept the free gift that He has offered us. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place and in my place. place. He accepted the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. He died on that cross. He rose from the dead and He has extended to everyone that free gift of eternal life, if only we would receive it. If only we would receive Him as Savior. And one of the reasons that people are so hesitant to accept that gift is to say, well, what kind of strings are attached and what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Listen, let me just tell you, you've got the rest of your life to figure out all those issues, right? And it's going to take the rest of your life to figure out, what does this mean? <laughs> what do I do now? How do I live now? You don't have to wait for the tribulation 
You don't have to wait for your own personal tribulation before you accept Christ as Savior. And for those of you who are listening right now, watching right now, in this room right now, who are believers, here's what, here's what we do, need to embrace. We need to embrace the reality that between now and Christ's return, we have work to do. Jesus entered into this world on a mission to redeem humankind. He left this planet physically. He left it, but He gave us His Holy Spirit. And He told us, His followers, that as He was sent to save the world, now we are sent to save the world. We have been called. We have been sent to make disciples, to share the gospel. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to engage in that mission. It is ongoing and it is happening right now. We have been called to be a part. We have all been given a specific role to play in the mission of God, the mission of redemption. And we will talk more about that next Sunday. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for your great sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father's will and to the Father's call on your life. And Father God, I pray that we would also be obedient to your call on our lives. That we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father God, you have created a role for each one of us. A role for us to fulfill in your mission. Equip us to do your work in this world. Give us what we need, the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the patience to share the gospel and to make disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.